You're listening to the Road to Wisdom podcast, weaving stories told by wonderful minds about all things motherhood, health, intimacy, politics, nature, and everything in between. Join us on an adventure discovering unique experiences that we can learn from to enhance the ways in which we live. We are your hosts, Chloe and Kishia. Welcome, Isabella Melvin, to the Road to Wisdom podcast. Um, I'm going to give you a quick introduction. Isabella is a former liberal feminist and during her work and learning in doula training and, um, gosh, I read Fertility Awareness Method, you came across a few things from your educators um, where where you were compelled to use terms such as menstruating person and person that bleeds rather than using the word woman. So that, I guess, is what catapulted you on your current path and trajectory. Um, and we we feel a bit the same. We were just kind of going along with everything and obviously anything in these ideologies were 100% okay. We supported people, felt a lot of empathy for people who did not feel comfortable in their skin or who felt like they were black sheeps. Um, But then all of a sudden it started kind of creeping, a few odd things started creeping into our lives and our kids' lives. Um, For instance, at my children's school, they celebrate Ida Hobbit Day. And I don't know if you are aware of Ida Hobbit Day. (laughs) Ida Hobbit Day is International Uh, Day... (laughs) It is International Day Against Homophobia, Biphobia and Transphobia, um, which sounds really great. No one wants to be, you know, perpetuating homophobia, biphobia or transphobia. But when it is targeted at my seven-year-old, five-year-old, four-year-old, three-year-old, I have some questions because obviously these things are a very sexual nature. It is people's sexual choices and basically a little too explicit for those age groups. Um, My feelings anyway. So that's where I started asking questions, especially because, I mean, children don't discriminate. Like, they, they don't discriminate. They don't really have that in them yet. So it seems seemed like a bit of a stretch to be asking our kids to celebrate against these phobias um, that they would never intrinsically have in them anyway, especially in the area we grew up in. It's very um, diverse and liberal and everyone's cool with everyone's stuff. So, yeah, that was, I guess, one of the first things that we started to see. And then all of a sudden there are posters up around the school that our children Um, are exposed to that are of very explicit natures and sexual themes. And again, they're too young. (laughs) They're too young for this kind of um, imagery, I guess. So it's really cool to have you um, up here and on the show. And yeah, we would love to pick your brain as to what the hell's going on. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for having me. It's so uh, interesting to hear, yeah, your unique experience of this. I, I did not, I was not made aware of the Idaho, Idaho day. Idaho bit. Idaho bit. Yeah, I, I've not heard that acronym. That is a new one for me. Um, but yeah, as you as you mentioned, it is 
very strange to solicit children to stand against something that they're not even capable of doing yet. Mm. Um, but mm. it does fit into the ideology, which is that, you know, we're, we're all kind of born with these um, invisible biases, like, you know, like in that Beers more into the critical race theory, like there's something inside of you, there's like an inner transphobia that needs to be addressed. And like, you know, if you don't know you have it, it doesn't mean you're a bad person. But like, if you don't listen to us when we tell you you have it and then go to like the re-education camp, then we're going to have a problem. You know, so like the these these days or these awareness campaigns or these booths um, all kind of fit a similar um, ideological framework, which is that, you know, we have to... Uh, address this like inner thing that's kind of like ugly that we all have and as soon as we can address this inner phobia that may not have manifested yet until we can do that we can't live in an equitable uh, world and a happy place you know yada yada so um it doesn't surprise me that that that's a day at your at your school well, well, I was I was actually very surprised because my kids go to a Steiner school. So, um, and one of the big <laughs> one of the big themes though is actually protecting their innocence and protecting their their um, right to childhood. So, um, I think that's that was one of the drawing cards for us to send our kids to a Steiner school because they're not pushed into like stressful situations in terms of sitting and learning academics and it's it takes a more creative approach and um it yeah it's about letting kids play for as long as they can but then all of a sudden we're introducing hypersexualized themes and while we're not obviously like and by we I mean <laughs> the school and the people involved in these um celebrations and while they're obviously not Oh God, well, you hope obviously not actually giving details to these things. It's still the general aura of what we're seeing. It's based on sex, <laughs> sex, which our kids are not aware of yet and does not then fit in with the keeping them in play mode because now we've gone into very adult concepts and themes. So, um, yeah, it was it was a bit of a surprise, which is which is why I feel like now it needs to be spoken about. It can't just be our own research and our own, like, looking into these things. And, I mean, you hear about in the sports world, um, yeah, you hear the changes happening in women's sports and things in women's prisons happening. Um, I, I don't know if our listeners have gone down these rabbit holes, but I listened to the witch trials of J.K. Rowling just recently, which gives a pretty good overlay of these things. Um, but because that doesn't affect us, it's not where we're at. I don't know anyone in a prison and I don't actually know anyone or re- not anyone competing in high levels of women's sports. I, you know, it kind of gets brushed the, under the rug. But now, now we're in school with tiny children and we see these themes coming in and yeah it's it's a bit of a concern so I feel like now we need some clarity we need to be talking about it so um yeah why why do we see these things coming into young children's realm like apart from what you just said which is 
we're trying to stamp out transphobia because it's just an inherent thing we're all born with, which I would contest. <laughs> um, what? What's going on? Yeah, what's going on? What? Who does this benefit? Um, gosh, there's. I think the. I think the easiest answer for people to wrap their head around is that this is an industry. Right. This is, these are new markets being opened up, uh, pharmaceutical markets, surgical markets, uh, clothing lines, um, books. This is a, this is a massive, um, there's a massive profit margin for the industries all related to the, the corporate fiction of the trans child. So, um, the work of Jennifer Billick, uh, the work of Kay Yang, um, they, go into much more detail than we'll get to in this, you know, in this hour or so together. But, um, you know, even 10, 15 years ago, no one had heard of a trans kid. Um, there was no such thing. Um, we knew that there were adult men who called themselves transsexuals. We, we understood them to be transsexuals. They were men who uh, were female impersonators, either in the performance uh, realm or in the privacy of their home. Um, it was very clear to everyone that it was a fetish, meaning that um, these men derive sexual arousal from um, dressing up and impersonating women. Um, almost always female stereotypes, so not uh, men dressing up as like butch lesbians, but men kind of dressing up in a super hyper-sexualized, hyper-feminized um, costume. So I think that's important for, for listeners to understand that, that, that this whole phenomena of the trans kid um, is, is relatively new. Um, and it's really important that this corporate fiction was created um, in order to legitimize the adult quote, mm -hmm. trans people, right? Um, so why is it in schools? Well, I mean, why are they targeting children? I mean, you know, one, it's to open up industries, you have a medical market. Um, children are more malleable. I think they're, they're trying to, I think this is a Depop agenda. I think, um, I also think birth control is part of a Depop agenda, hormonal birth control. I think many things are part of the Depop agenda. Um, and I don't think it takes much to like follow that, that thought experiment. Um, when we see what hormonal birth control has done to, um, the female reproductive system and what it's done to the birth rates, uh, what it's done, uh, and, and, and actually helps to explode a fertility industry, uh, the market that preys on women who, um, are either infertile or post-fertility. Um, so yeah, if you just take, you take a child who is exposed to um, transgender propaganda, so they're told in school by their teacher that um, they can be stuck in the wrong body, um, that they can choose a new name, that they can uh, go by the wrong sex, opposite sex pronouns. Um, you start to, you do a couple things to the child, you start to enable them to dissociate from their bodies. Um, you are opening up a path that will end typically in medicalization. You know, the pronoun thing is not benign. Um, socially transitioning, what, what's called social transition is in, incredibly impactful psychologically and has uh, long lasting effects. And 
The example um, that I'll use that, that I got from Abigail Schreier in her book, uh, she was a journalist who wrote a book called Irreversible Damage, where she explored the, um, the explosion of adolescent girls identifying as men and getting double mastectomies and going on testosterone. Because as I mentioned earlier, right, this was just used to be a thing that like adult men did to get off. Like it was, it was a sexual fetish or it was a, a sexual fetish with a kind of a theater element uh, during which they would, you know, perform in nightclubs, drag clubs um, and such. So, um, so you, ah, the dissociation, the example, the example that she uses that I want to share uh, about just the danger of social transition. Cause I know a lot of parents whose kids are exposed to this think, okay, well, we're not going to like chop our kid's dick off, but like, you know, we see how much better uh, he, he seems to feel when we call him Sally or, uh, and let him wear tutus, you know? So, so what is the danger? What is the danger in uh, the changing of the name and pretending that you have a child that's the opposite sex? Well, according to Abigail Schreier in, in her example, she uses the example of Holocaust survivors. And she talks about this one um, uh, Holocaust survivor who pretended to be Christian for so, so many years that when, she, in, that when she was asked to come speak at like Holocaust memorial events, um, she would get on stage and just be like, I'm not really sure why I'm here. Like I'm, I'm actually not really Jewish. Like she could no longer identify with being Jewish, even though that was the very thing that made her pretend to be Christian. You know, like she could only pretend to be Christian because she's Jewish, uh, because she's not Christian. And so she pretended to escape the Nazis uh, for so many years, in her formative years, to be someone else, um, that she could no longer relate to who she actually was. Um, and she could also, like, she also wasn't a Christian. So it created this disassoci dissociation, um, which is um, really important when you're trying to get someone to do something bad to their body or when you're trying to abuse another person, you need them to be unoccupied. You need them to dissociate. These are similar tactics that, that are used to um, groom children for pornography. You give them a different name. You give their body parts different names. Uh, you dress them in different clothes. And then whatever's done to them actually isn't done to them. It's done to their, their, like, you know, their character that you're ascribing to them. Mm. And I think this is... Um, you see now it's not the child, you know, groomers, like if, as explicitly as the pornographers, um, the pedophiles, but it's like the parents, you know, I think the parents are able to commit these atrocities and participate in these atrocities against their own children um, because they're starting to dissociate from their kids. Like they're saying, oh, well, Sally, Sally's not a lie. Or let's go back to the little boy example, you know, um, you know, um, we, we had to do this to, to Brian to save Sally. Oh. Or we had to create Sally to save Brian. You know, it's this, this, it's this, you know, they are buying into the lie and they are preyed upon. The parents are groomed to, uh, to, to believe that if they do not do these things to their kids, if they don't call them by the, um, uh, wrong sex pronouns or, you know, uh, um, put them on puberty blockers, um, that they will have a dead, a dead kid. So yeah. it's pretty, it's pretty pretty bad mm. it seems so interesting because at the moment we see in australia the rise i mean i'm sure this is happening in the states uh, a whole lot more and it's kind of just coming in in the last couple of years here but parents are taking their kids to um story drag story time 
at libraries and there's like drag pop-up events targeted towards kids and there's like you know I know a lot of parents who are into that and they see no wrong they're like it's classic like it's not harmful I don't understand why you think this is so like sexual and um inappropriate and you know they're kind of pushing or in agreeance of raising their kids like non-binary or letting them decide who they are and it seems so harmless in their opinion but obviously you made a good point that that's creating dissociation in the smallest amount which could manifest into something really big it it seems a bit dangerous doesn't it and like when you take it in terms of yeah people who abuse children and I, I mean, I haven't gone down the child porn rabbit hole because that, it, like, even just talking about it just tightens something up in my soul and a little bit of me dies. So, I, um, but you can see how exactly, like, we're using or this ideology is using the same method to get kids on board which or to get families on board and it's it is it's marketed as as something so benign and actually if you don't do it you're a bad person because you're transphobic or you're homophobic or whatever it is um and it doesn't matter how okay you are with you know anyone who wants to live their life any way they want to live it just keep it away from children (laughs) and keep it out of you know schools essentially um or anything of a sexual nature yeah, it's, it's a bit um. Yeah. What's the, like, just to go back into it a little bit more, like what do you think the overarching goal is to be introducing all of this and slowly grooming, if that's what it is, like we're grooming children, like what's the point? Like what's the overarching goal to get kids, you know, into that um, position where they're wanting to be taking puberty blockers or hormones and, you know, they're hooked up to that. Like, is that the goal? Just to have, you know, profit coming from um, pharmaceutical companies or is it something bigger? I think transgenderism and the trans ideology, trans, it, it all, it's a, it's a tentacle of transhumanism. So transhumanism is the, the ushering of um, technology, the merging of technology with, with nature, with human, the human body, um, you know, and, and we're already kind of, we've been in this for a while now, you know, like I, I take my phone to the bathroom. Um, we're on this virtual call right now. Um, you know, my, one could make an argument that my physical life, um, you know, that our physical lives, um, can easily shift to become the shadow of the virtual, you know, all of a sudden we're more concerned with how we look on the internet than we do in person. Like I haven't had to brush my teeth for this call. If we were in person, I would, you know, like it, 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 it's, I don't have to because we're not, we're not together. You know, like my, my, uh, my virtual self becomes priority actually over the, the, the physical, the in-person, the fleshy self. So, and then to the extreme end of that would be, you know, things like, you know, Elon Musk's Neuralink where you're implanting devices in your brain, um, vaccine chips, head, uh, medical health record, you know, chips that are implanted. Um, uh, you know, what you see going on at the airport. I don't know if you have this in Australia, but you know, the eye scanners, the biometric scanners, um, where, you know, you don't even need a, a boarding pass or even an ID. They can just scan your eyeballs and you can, or you can shop, you know, the Amazon mm. shops and they can just sense because when you get in there, you know, your chip, you know, 
registers on. So I think, I think um, it's, I think the more that people feel comfortable um, breaking the barrier of their bodies, whether that's through hypersexuality or, um, you know, cutting, you know, uh, skinning the arm, your forearm and your upper thigh to create a fake um, appendage that's called a penis that, you know, sewn onto your groin, like whatever it is, I think the more that you can normalize the, 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 the kind of the piecing apart of the human body, like the destroying of the flesh. And that's what parents need to know, like parents need to know about the angle. It's like the actual destruction and the, the tearing apart of your child's body. Um, and it goes beyond plastic surgery. Like I think plastic surgery was kind of like the, the warm up to this, but as Jennifer Billick, she's a, a writer and researcher on, on transhumanism and technology and transgenderism. And, you know, she makes a distinction like tattoos and plastic surgery, like those things don't attack our biological sex. Like what makes us fundamentally human? Um, is it a transhumanist technology? Like are silicone breast implants, you know, uh, is Botox a transhumanist technology? Is the birth control pill a transhumanist technology? For sure. Um, but does it attack what makes us fundamentally human? Not in the way that this whole trans thing does. So um, I think seeing it as a tentacle of um, transhumanism, you know, and, and us being ushered into a, a space where you can um, outsource reproduction even more than we do already, you can not only pause it and store it, but you can outsource it more easily. Um, so yeah, you've got, you've got market, you've got industries making lots and lots of money, um, not just the medical industry, but as I mentioned, the clothing lines, the books, the um, record deals, the acting gigs, you know, it's hard to find a, a major label, fashion label, um, a Hollywood production company that isn't plugging transgenderism through their characters, through the storylines, um, through the, the, the people that they choose to represent their brands. Um, so there's major, ma major profit. Um. Mm, and I guess that alone just, we know that that has such a major influence as well. So the more that they're kind of participating in that marketing, if you call it marketing, um, it just seems to be having such, I mean, it's seamless for whoever's pulling the strings from the top. Um, like, it's absolutely effortless when there's such a mass amount of people willing to promote it and it feels good to claim being trans or you're getting a lot of attention. Like obviously there's a lot of psychological, you know, imbalances now more than ever and to, to be able to cling on to an identity where you're being so praised for and given so much attention and even money to, um, you know, be that is... I mean, that would, it's like, it's just driving, we're driving this ship to this, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I tend to think about um, puberty, like, and how a lot of these kids are being preyed on in puberty, that like, that's when they're starting to have their sex education classes and that kind of thing. And um, I remember going through puberty. I don't know if you remember going through puberty, but man, mm -hmm. I was like, I hated my body. My boobs grew at different rates. I started to get hips. My shoulders were like 
awkward. I had pimples. I like, I just, everything was awful. And then like you add the influx of hormones that you get going through puberty. And I was like a ragey, angry, weird looking, gawky thing. And I mean, it's initiation. If anyone doesn't get it that bad, well, good on you. (laughs) But um, if I had someone come in at that stage and I was like, to hide my boobs, I'd wear my dad's t-shirts. Like I lived in my dad's t-shirts and everything was oversized and baggy and I'd wear guys' shorts because I didn't want people looking at my body in a sexual way because, you know, you get boobs, you get hips and then all of a sudden you start looking like these, you know, sexualized women. Anyway, and if I had someone come in then and be like, well, Kashia, maybe you are born into the wrong body that would have sunk so deep because you're in such a vulnerable state and you, you just want with it. yeah and you just want like the angst and the anger and the all these like crazy big emotions to end and maybe that's the answer it's such an easy in to that and like you know and it just seems so gentle the way it starts so you know well maybe you can just start with using they them pronouns and see how that fits and see how that feels because you're not comfortable using like being a girl or being a woman or developing so you know just try that on and and then you can see how that would like snake down and gosh if if that was if I was going through that today like I'd be terrified for myself because I love being a woman now Mm. I love my breasts they feed babies I like love my body it's done incredible amazing things and like that wouldn't maybe not have been an option for me at all had I gone down that path anyway sorry I'm just like ranting now but it's you know I, I just I feel for these kids that are going through all this now and then the parents too who you know, are our age and didn't have this growing up and therefore, you know, like how do you, how do you navigate that? And actually it's something I wanted to ask you, Isabella, like how do we navigate this with our children when this is not something that we've seen before, you know, especially where we are, we've not been exposed to it. So where, where do we go to, I guess, you know, ensure that our kids get a fair chance at growing up without all these external pressures? Um, I think it's going to be a very difficult road if you're choosing to keep them in an environment that is constantly working against you. Um, But, you know, like if a woman came to me and she's like, I want to have a physiological birth, but I'm going to the hospital. I'd be like, it's going to be actually impossible. Um, but you might have a vaginal birth. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you yeah. could, you might, you might avoid an epidural and a C-section and a Pitocin. And you, you may even avoid the saline, but the phthalates, like you might, you might, but, but physiologic, no. Surveil, vaginal, maybe. Like, you know, so I think just getting clear about what is going on and like even if you form a committee at your school and you make some changes like how long I mean how how much longer do you want to keep your kid you know a year two more years of exposure you know because even if they're not explicitly teaching it at the schools whether it's Montessori or Waldorf like you know it's all corrupted Uh, there are very few schools that I know of um, that have not been touched 
by this. And it's even in some homeschooling co-ops. You know, it's not that it's not that the co-ops aren't immune from it either. So I would say if you're going to keep them in that kind of environment, then you're going to have to do extra work because you're you're losing. Like, just on a time basis, your kid's, you know, spending, what, like six to eight hours a day away from you, four or five days a week. I mean... You know, it's, you're, you're losing just on a, it's just a numbers game at that point you're losing. Um, and they're going to do the thing that's going to make them fit in, even if it doesn't make sense. Um, cause that's what kids do. They want to be liked. They want to relate. And if they see that they are getting rewarded or getting more attention for doing things that even cause them harm, uh, or don't feel good, they're still going to, there's, there's a chance that they're still going to do them. Um, that is a brutal truth. Oh my god, you, that good because now I feel nauseous. Thank you, Isabella. <laughs> You've officially terrified us and probably all of our listeners. <laughs> well, the other thing, the other thing they'll say there is another way to look at it, and and I, I did I did I hosted a class um, with Mary Lou Singleton, who's a lifelong women's activist, uh, midwife, nurse practitioner, based in Albuquerque, New Mexico, here in the U.S. and um, she used the example of like the Amish, uh, not the Amish, sorry, Jews. She was like, you know, how have Jewish people been able to retain their culture through genocide? Um, and it's instilling, you know, strong cultural values at home. In this house, we believe that sex is real. In this house, we believe this. In this house, we believe that. So it's not that it's like not possible, but it's like, I feel like it's like Russian roulette at this point. And one thing that I've learned, um, which is unfortunate, which is there is no, like, there is no type. There is no one type of child who falls prey to this. And I wish there was. I wish I could say, oh, victim of sexual abuse. Oh, divorced parents. Oh, and there is like a bingo card. Like there are risk factors, which we, we talked about in our class, like divorce, like sexism in the home. Um, like exposure to the ideology at school, like exposure to media. Um, so there are certainly things that, you know, I would do as a parent to, to mitigate uh, that. And I've, I've, you know, worked with some amazing mothers who just didn't see it coming. Because who does? Like, who has kids? And it's like... Oh, yeah, like it used to be the, you know, when I was growing up, it was like, um, my parents, you know, wanted to make sure I wasn't having sex when I was young. They didn't want me doing drugs and alcohol. They didn't want me getting a tattoo or getting like too many piercings. You're like, those were the things that were like on my radar. Like I knew there were bad people out there. Um, but I didn't think they were at school. I didn't know. I had to, I, no one told me I had to be like, I had to like be afraid of my teachers. Like, and I absorbed a lot of my teachers' political ideology growing up as well. It was very much my political ideology was shaped by the environment that I was in every day at the same school for 10 years. Then I went to a new school, and it was even more, you know, uh, even a stronger political identity. And then I went to a new school. It was even stronger and stronger as I was getting older, you know. So, so children, I think, are shaped by the environment that you're they're putting them in. So if you take a family like, you know, my, my, a friend of mine is a, is a mom of five and she's homeschooled all her kids almost exclusively. And, and the culture that the kids have is the culture of the home. It's the culture of the family. It's, the cult it's like that is their culture. Now they interact with other kids and 
do activities and are incredibly smart and, and can socialize like, like easily. But the dominant um, culture is, is that of the home and in the shared values, like how they're brought up. Now they'll, they'll do whatever they want after, you know, who knows what, what, you know, what they'll believe in, what groups they'll get involved in or what, um, whatever, but they have a very, very strong foundation and it's unified. Um, and it's not a cult. It's just, it's just a, you know, so, and, and Jennifer Bailey talks about this too. Like the first, like, why is it that, um, so many millennials have a hard time with their parents or like resent their parents' political ideology or feel themselves separate or like not identified with them. It's mostly because, you know, we, we go to school away from our parents. Then we go to college even farther away, even if it's a couple hours. So we're first separated from the land. You know, no, most of us don't live on the land in a multi-generational family setup. And then we're sent to a school and then we're sent to another school, you know, for lucky, you know, even farther away for lucky, you know? So I think I felt waves of this just in my upbringing without taking trans ideology out of it, you know, um, creating that separation politically, ideologically between myself and my parents. Um, and that was a product of, of my schooling. Mm, can't deny that. Yeah. As and hard that, as it is to hear. I'd love to um, actually delve a little bit deeper into the separation uh, from like one from their body. Um, because I guess that's, that's kind of where it's starting. And it's, that's something that I guess we can all relate to throughout our lives um and yeah if you're separating children from their bodies like making their bodies wrong making you know they are not their body we see that really hardcore at the moment and then you mentioned in the birth world which is obviously something me and Chloe have a fair bit of experience in um (laughs) you're ruining it from birth to death um as soon as you're just separate yeah this um pulling apart of Mm. your your essence from your body can I say that is that yeah I think like just to paint the picture like we're obviously born usually um non not non-physiological birth is that the right way yeah the right way to put it <laughs> non-physiological <laughs> or there's um, intervened intervention mm. yeah so we're there's something that's in between that natural process and then we're obviously raised in a really unnatural environment to what we would need as human beings to thrive and then we're constantly putting something in between you know what it means to be human and then there are so many concepts that you know we introduce and then you know even more modern problems like fertility like where's our fertility gone as women as men is it because we're dissociating ourselves or from our bodies so so much and we're so far removed from nature and our natural rhythms and like it's so easy to penetrate these ideas and concepts to children and to parents and to to basically everybody because we are so (laughs) disconnected from ourselves and to you know nature and Mm, it doesn't surprise me that you know we're having troubles here (laughs) (laughs) and how much worse it could get (laughs) yeah I'd love to go into what you've seen in your doula work and um, in the birth world and how how trans ideologies have actually infiltrated the birth world. Um, I mean, even without that, we've we were seeing 
we we do see a lot of women um, being taken away from their bodies during their pregnancy, like told they're not feeling this or if they are feeling something, no, 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 that's okay, it's fine or, you know, um, I don't have any specific examples right now but I know through my pregnancies I went through the medical system in three of them, just in the pregnancies um, and I would be forever told that my baby was going to die and I wouldn't know about it and there would be no indication and even though I felt great and everything's fine and I can feel my baby moving, you don't know. That baby's going to just die. You'll have a stillbirth if you don't do A, B, C. Um, And it's a story that so many of our friends get, especially towards the end of their pregnancies if they're not willing to be medicated. Um, And then now... Now we can't – now the language is changing to a point where, you know, I want to breastfeed. Well, we have to change that. Where you're, It's chest feeding now and there's – you know, we're hearing these terms that dissociate us from our bodies even more because, well, I guess everyone's trying to do the right thing and not upset anyone or discriminate, but – It sounds like we end up our rights are being a little bit – taken for a ride (laughs) like as women I feel we worked pretty hard to become safer and um you know I don't know do you know what I mean like we fought for a lot of the rights that we have today well I didn't personally but the women before me and before that did and now I feel like we're just putting that to this to the side like what's happening there and what have you seen well, to your earlier question about, like, why are they doing this or, like, what's the angle? I think part of the angle is, you know, they have to – if we're – if they want us to live under, like, a global regime of, like, transhumanism and, you know, like, science, quote, science and, like, medical technology and this fusion between medical technology and nature, well, women are the ultimate manifestations of life right because we bring forth life we are the creators right of life we literally grow life um we out of nothing uh, we make bone and blood and flesh and then it passes through us and then we we feed that life and that life needs us in order to be strong and help i mean we we are pretty crucial in the continuation of of humanity and so that truth has been lost as you just described just from the example of gaslighting and treating women like animals and uh, public property at best um in in their birthing time so i think it's more i think the, the taking away our rights like taking away women's sex-based rights is a step that's already been taken towards like a complete erasure, uh, a complete um, uh, denial around our creative, and by creative, I mean like actually creator force. Um, And if you look at, you know, um, like the history of earth-based, land-based, mother worship, woman worship communities. I mean, this was done thousands of years ago with, you know, patriarchal religions helped to speed this 
this along to destroy female worship, worship of the mother, worship of the creator. Um, and I'm not saying that anyone who is a part of a, you know, Abrahamic religion, you know, is doing this, is hating women or trying to destroy women. However, there was a big shift uh, away from viewing women with the ultimate uh, reverence and respect. Um, we just, it doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't happen anymore. It doesn't exist. And there are many, many examples of that. But, and, and I think the most obvious one is the, is the way that birth was stolen um, from women and the women who choose now in a unfavorable climate to reclaim their pregnancies and their births and their reproductive sovereignty, like refuse the pill or, you know, have an unassisted birth or um, choose to have many, many kids, you know, they are seen as, you know, not progressive or, um, a little backwards or yeah, they're, they're, they're taking resources from the plant. Don't you know that the planet's going to shit and like, how could you be so selfish to have so many kids and oh my God, you know, we live in a totally antenatalist world. Um, and so, yeah. And can I, can I just say that those, those concepts that like everything you just said is what I grew up with at my school. Like if you were a woman and you wanted to have lots of babies, you are uneducated. Like that was a sign of not being very educated because you don't want to put your career first and, um, and yeah, make sure that you're financially stable um, without the help or need of being in a relationship. You know, you need to be doing a b and c and then you can have your 2.6 kids yeah. and that's what it is to replace a population but <laughs> most people only have one and um if if they have kids so no it was always i i remember actually because i am one of four and um and that was kind of unheard of at my school. I went to a private school and not many families had more than two kids. Um, and I remember, you know, being paid out for that. And, you know, my parents were actually very, very success successful. They, um, they built their fortune from the ground up and from nothing. But they... They had four children, which was like a mark of not being educated. And I remember that kind of infiltrating me and I'd be like, you know, looking at my parents like, oh, but, you know, you guys aren't very educated, are you? When really they're probably the smartest people I know. So I, yeah, it was, it was a very, um, it was laid on thick. I don't know what your experience was at school, but at my school mm. it was like if you, if you wanted to do that and then and then there was a whole bunch of cases against you for wanting to have a big family and I remember actually never wanting a big family originally so yeah. I don't um, remember much of that but I do remember that I don't think I mean just quickly looking back on it we were m definitely encouraged to go to university and have a mm -hmm. career and mm -hmm. we'll never like things like concepts that we never learned at school um were definitely not rooted in motherhood um you know, child, having children, what birth would look like, what carrying life would look like. That was not a thing. But it was more kids which university are you too. going to. Like, like yeah. I don't know, growing yeah. up, kids were always a nuisance 
to be yeah. seen, not heard, or like you just kind of you don't kind of associate with children mm. at all because why would you waste your time? Um, yeah, it was. I don't know. There's a lot of that, and I guess I guess that's probably where it started for my generation, or like in mm. <laughs> where I grew up. Um, yeah, and then all of a sudden you've got the environmental aspect of it too. And as soon as you, I mean, for me, we started looking into like watching all the documentaries about the environment and like how do we help the environment and how do we, you know, keep the planet going for future generations. And one of the things was don't have kids. Like mm. don't have kids because it, the carbon footprint and the – um yeah, oh, I don't know. There's a whole bunch of bloody reasons why you shouldn't have kids. It's going to ruin your life, basically. Um, when the reality is that life isn't anything without having kids now that I've had them. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, it's interesting. It's interesting that, you know, to see the origins of it and how it's perpetuated now, it's, it seems like an exponential explosion of um, – I, I would – label all that under the disassociation you were talking about earlier yeah. Isabella is, is that what's happening in the states I feel like whatever's happening there will be happening here soon um, um and most people kind of following that path and yeah I think we were just we were in the middle of talking about what was kind of happening in birth and yeah, oh yeah things <laughs> I took it on a tangent sorry everyone <laughs> well I can only speak to my like experience growing up in New York City, which was probably, you know, like the coastal elites, these definitely have the most antinatalist propaganda. You know, my mom is from Texas. Um, and so my, my cousins there were all married um, in their early 20s. And most of them have had children uh, before the age of 25, 27, um, which was considered very young for, um, my peer group. Uh, I'm going to be 32. And out of all the friends that I have who I grew up with, um, well, they're not my friends anymore, but uh, I do I do know which one of them, uh, you know, who has had children. None of them have had children. Um, very few are married. Uh, most of them are in, I think, long-term relationships, but no, you know, children. And I, I, I grew up with a you know, I had a pretty large peer group. Um, and that's not unusual. It's not just like, because my friends are weirdly not interested in kids. It's just like a, the demographic um, that I grew up around here, um, which was mostly like middle-class, upper-middle-class, um, mostly white, um, combination of private and public school education. Um, so, so yes, I think we are exposed to it here a lot. I'm still, I mean, based on this, the fact that I'm not married and don't have kids yet, I think, you know, shows that it, it is impactful. Even when you cognitively know what's going on, you know, the choices that you've made, uh, you know, through your 20s to have an effect on where, where you are in your 30s. And, um, you know, and, I, and I'll also say that, you know, from a feminist analysis, like, having a family and having many children, you know, under patriarchy is, does provide challenges. It is challenging, um, uh, economically, um, 
given, you know, what, how you're protected in the case of divorce and separation, you know, there are, there are concerns to be had about being married and having many children with no, um, independent financial, um, backing. Um, now this is distinct from like a matriarchal society where, you know, it's multi-generational living or even other, you know, not exclusive to matriarchal societies, but, um, it, you know, even in a, in a situation where you have multi-generational living, um, you have a support system, you have more people around, you're not parenting in isolation. Um, you just think about like abuse being able to take place more easily with fewer people around, you know? Um, domestic abuse, child abuse. So I understand why women are hesitant. I think it's propaganda and I, I, I think there's a lot of propaganda, antinatalist propaganda. And I think that, you know, the economic conditions, like the, what we're being offered, like, Hey, like have a baby with this guy in an apartment in New York city where like your families both live like miles away. And like, you know, the way that you're going to get support after is to like pay a postpartum doula, like a strange 22 year old who you don't know, you're going to pay her 50 bucks an hour to like show you how to do things that like a grandma should be showing you how to do. Like, it's weird. Like all my client, like when I started off as I was 24 and my clients were like all 10 to 15 years older than I was. And like, I was the baby expert. Like I was the one telling them they're about their anatomy. Like it was weird. It's a, it's a weird dynamic. Like I, like, yeah, it's, it's a bit awkward. It's a bit strange. And it, like, why me? Like it, I should be in the learning. I should have been still been in the learning mode, not the like teaching, you know, like I, now I'm just like, I don't really want to learn from anyone who's like under 50 yeah. now. I'm just like, why? I'm like, what do they have? What do they know? And I say this as a 31 year old life coach, but like, it's, you know, it's just, everything is a bit backwards. <laughs> um, so yeah. So I understand the hesitation, the concerns economically in the social, like political context that we live in. Like I understand hesitation and I do think there are concerns, um, to be had, um, just based on how like financially it is difficult, you know, to, to raise many kids, to, you know, without the support. Mm. What do you think, like, as a person who's obviously seen a lot, you've demonstrated a lot, um, and you have a really good understanding on kind of what is going on, um, and you kind of looked in all the nooks and crannies where most people just won't because it's too hard and they don't they don't want to be confronted by the information. But um, what does the solution look like? Like going forward as strong, you know, grounded women who don't really want to give the option for our daughters to be little boys. We want them to be little girls and we want them to be really connected with their bodies and their, you know, the essence of being little girls. Um, and same for my son and your sons and too. Boys, yeah. Um, but yeah, like in this world, in these times, what does change look like you know i think there are many ways to work on change i mean on all levels there's a legal level there's on the ground level there's in the home there's there's all sorts of ways to get involved and to um address this like the many tentacles of, of what's going on so i think um 
first thinking about like where you get the most energy, you know, in, in this fight, like, is it raising consciousness on your podcast? Is it raising embodied children? Is it getting a law degree so that you can go, you know, um, defend, you know, women in, 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 you know, in prisons, you know, so that they're not, you know, in a bunk with a dude, you know? So like, I think there are many, many ways to go about it. Um, but I think as, you know, as mothers, as, as, as women who are raising small children, you know, modeling embodiment, you know, like starting in the home, modeling embodiment, showing your bleed, talking about your bleed, talking about birth, inviting your children to your birth, um, talking to them about the, the, the sacredness of their body. And that doesn't necessarily have to be in a religious sense, but just that like, this is the body that you grew for them. Uh, this is the body that they have. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's strong. It helps us do things. It helps us lift things and have fun and play and, you know, eventually grow tall and strong and maybe even have your own children. And, you know, so just modeling embodiment and talking about the, the gift that is the human body and celebrating the human body. You know, I don't recommend parents like talk to their 10 year olds about sissy hypnoporn, but I do think the porn conversation needs to come in a lot earlier because they're already exposed. Like, do you, do you want their first exposure to be on an iPad at school? That's like some BDSM, like kink porn, or, you know, do you want to let them know that, Hey, there is this material out there. You may encounter it at some point, but like, I'm going to give you the foundation about, you know, preserving the thoughts in your mind and the sacredness of the body and like, modeling love and connection so that when they are exposed, they have some kind of foundation to be like, oh, this is the thing, you know, that mom and dad told me about or or when they are confronted. I'd love to just, I'd love to just quickly, quickly address porn because I know you're, you're such an amazing speaker on this, but um, how damaging is porn in a, in a little quick spill. Um, I know you could speak on it for probably a whole hour. <laughs> but um, Isabel, your face. Your face. <laughs> no, no, no. Really I'm just quick. thinking uh-huh, about really? all the um, experiences yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, you know, when, when young boys, like, just hitting puberty or younger or kids um, and even men, like, what's happening to them and what are the consequences of exposing yourself oh to porn? God think they're just like turning us into robots yeah i mean Real i mean quick. like no. mind control <laughs> to some like body mind control body control low libido mm. depression anxiety um objectification of of bodies like you know just of, of women um mm. starting like literally starting to see women as a means to ejaculation like and reducing them to a means of ejaculation there's nothing wrong with wanting to ejaculate when you're with women. That's the kind of the whole point of like the sex act, but like reducing women to a means to ejaculation is, is, is the problem. So there's, and that's not even talking about the industry when you're talking about children. Um, you know, when we were talking about like parents not wanting to be called like homophobic or sex or, or um, homophobic or transphobic the thought that came to me was like, I wouldn't, as a parent, like, I wouldn't mind being called sex phobic. Like, if that meant me just not exposing my kids to sex or porn, like, I, 
Mm. I, I mean, since when is it okay for like parents to like have to even have sex with each other in, in front of their waking children? I mean, it's just not culturally, socially acceptable to do something like that. So it doesn't mean they're like sex phobic. It just means that they understand that developmentally and like for privacy reasons, because their parent, like you just, you don't, you don't just have people have sex in front of children. It's just, it's just not a thing we do. Um, mm. They're not, they're not, they're not ready for it. I mean, I don't think anyone ever becomes ready for public sex either. Um, so I feel like, yeah, I feel like parents mm. should embrace being called like sex phobic. Um, if it means just like limiting their children's exposure <laughs> to sex because they're fucking, sorry, children. Um, now that doesn't mean you can't talk about the body mm. and talk about how sex works and talk about how children are made, um, how babies are made, you know, um, I'm not saying eliminate that, but yeah, I think it is a challenge. And I don't have the answer for like, what is the perfect sex education program? What is the perfect age for kids to be exposed to like, um, just the basics of, of sexual development and, and, and the act of sex? Um, I don't, I don't know um, what the perfect age or the way to go about that. And I think that would be, you know, according to Steiner, it would be at different points for different children. You know, not all children are ready at age eight to know what sex mm -hmm. is, you know, a child who's maybe ready at eight versus 10, you know, they're, they're going to have the different biological markers and maturation markers um, to let the parents know that I am ready for this, this next stage of learning or exposure. Um, but puberty would make sense. Mm. I kind of feel like porn is kind of like a massive way or massive tool for men to dis dissociate from themselves too and obviously young men young kids like l little boys um who watch that is really taking them away from themselves too yeah i think it, uh i'd love to just plug a future guest not really because i don't know who the guest is going to be but it would be really great to talk to someone about um about sex education for children because i feel like it's something that we don't like it I, i'm gonna go into it so bloody blind and mm -hmm. I really just don't want it like the rug to be pulled up from under me and you know my children to have the wrong exposure so um yeah I'd love love to get someone on to go into the ins and outs of well, when's the right time and like thinking back to our conversation with Melanie like you know we're looking at children having having the adult faculties to digest adult concepts and God, I'm not ready for my kids to ever be ready for that shit. <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, it would be good to get a bit more clarity And on talking that. to other mom, like moms that you love and respect yeah. who have older children and asking how they did it. I think that's also, like, and yes, an expert, but, like, also who are the, who are the older moms? Who are the, who are the women in your community that you, can, that you can ask who have teenagers, who have kids in their early 20s, you know, into their 30s? You know, what did they do? What did they what did they regret? What did they do that worked for them? You know, like asking having that kind of mentorship mm. I think is invaluable. Um, mm, I think it's really important for men to be in this picture because men telling their little boys about porn just hits different than mum saying, Don't watch porn, it's <laughs> terrible. You know, like I feel like you yeah. know, the the lack of 
those alpha masculine men are really that they're really needed in that space. Yeah. Yeah. No, sure. I agree. For sure. Yeah. Mm. And and just a unified front, you know, it being the dad and also just the mom and dad being on the same page saying like we are we are unified in in our values as a family. In this house, we believe in fill in the blank. Mm. Mm. I guess one thing you can do is bring it back to connection. And yeah, like you were saying, Isabella, we can demonstrate that connection in front of our kids and just like with loving affection towards our spouses and then and then yeah just bring back because like the porn industry is all about disassociation <laughs> every single aspect so yeah bringing it back to being connected with someone and that's when you feel comfortable with them and when you love them I don't know no, I'm getting really happy no. here <laughs> no, but there yeah, are chem- like the, in the finest <laughs> performance it's fake fake it's not real you know just emphasizing that part Mm. it's not real these Mm -hmm. are actors uh these are exploited people these people are drugged most of the time they're victims of sexual abuse often incest you know these are not um this is not something to emulate and the more they watch it the more they're going to try to emulate it and this is for you know a child who's just not hasn't even had sex before oh god hopefully you know like an adolescent but also for any adult men who watch porn, like they're using, it's a manual. It's a manual for how to do sex. Um, so of course they're going to enact. It's not, not what, what women, women want. want. <laughs> it's not what women want. <laughs> no. All right. Well, Isabella, I, I really thank you so much for your time. Um, just a, a quick um summary of where you're at at the moment i did look at your recent uh series that you started with megan murphy and um mary lou um and that's where are the women yes on megan murphy's channel on youtube yes yeah so that's that's very interesting and quite a few beautiful eye openers in there and um you've got your podcast obviously which is whose body is it if anyone wants to find you and there's another uh, you're gonna have to give me the details on this there was another course that you're running at the moment is that with jennifer um yeah which i actually really want to sign up for and do because it sounds incredible and that's all on assisted fertility um or what assisted reproductive technologies and um i guess another topic that really interests us which is surrogacy and how i guess the ins and outs of that because that's something that's being talked about a lot at the moment in our circles and as an option and um as a beautiful option that you know a gift that someone can give a family and um there's something that's a bit eerie and sits very unwell with us so to see the ethical and moral um oh my god word can you find the word for me just the sides of it and that whole industry which is often praised as an absolute Mm -hmm. god-given gift Mm. kind of be challenged um from an ethical standpoint yeah so would you be able to give our listeners details on that so yeah the first the first thing you mentioned is uh a joint um, four-part series that, that uh, Megan 
they're doing with Megan Murphy and Mary Lou Singleton. That's on her YouTube channel. It's called, yeah, where are the women? Uh, where are all the women? Because the the recently, you know, anyone who's been following the politics of the trans stuff, you may have seen a lot of um, conservative conservative leaning um, men saying, where are the feminists? You know, or or just not mentioning. Uh, any any form others the women who have been in this for decades i'm i'm a newbie i'm a i'm a baby uh transgender whistleblower comparatively to the women who have been in this for decades talking about female erasure um so it was kind of a tongue-in-cheek like okay well we're right here we've been here uh screaming um but we don't have money we don't have investors we don't have millions of followers we are self-funded trying to scrounge together five grand to put on an event for a hundred women in a public library, you know, like, so, you know, uh, but yeah, it's incredibly frustrating. Um, more so for the women who have been this even longer than I have to see, um, men saying, you know, feminists don't care or women don't care. or Women actually created this, or this is a result of feminism. We did this. We did this. Um, which is my favorite. Um, so that's that series. Um, my podcast is called Whose Body Is It? And really for every topic we touched on today, I have at least a couple podcast episodes, um, that are totally free available to everyone. Um, I also have some free resource guides, um, on my side as well for anyone wanting to know more about anyone, um, kind of tentacle of what we've discussed. And then, uh, I host, um, continuing, I like to think of them as continuing education, um, classes. And the one coming up is a three-part masterclass series, uh, taught by a former, um, nurse, uh, uh, who is now a fertility industry whistleblower. And she makes documentary films exposing the corruption of the fertility industry, everything from egg selling, what's called egg quote, donation, to surrogacy, to anonymous sperm donation, and, um, you know, having been a doula and, and gone through all sorts of birth and women's health trainings, um, I was only ever exposed to pro-fertility, celebrate, you know, pro-surrogacy, pro-third-party reproduction, pro-IVF, you know, thank God for this technology. It's bringing so much joy to these families who would otherwise not have children, thank God. Um, just, it was something to celebrate and, and certainly not to be questioned. Um, and so this course is for any healthcare practitioner, really, especially women who work with women in the childbearing years, um, uh, to get informed on the both legal and medical risks of IVF, surrogacy, and other third-party reproductive technology. It's also, I think, important for you know, same-sex couples, women who are single by choice, anyone wanting to start a family in a, what's called, you know, the kind of the modern family formation. Um, it's an important, it's an important coursework to have information to have under your belt. Um, and I think it's going to get more and more relevant as we see more sterility mm -hmm. and infertility. It's just, yeah, it's becoming, we're seeing more celebs way more celebs being brazen about it. It used to be more hush-hush, and now we're just seeing, like, proud surrogacy stories, like proud women mm. proudly renting other women. Um, so mm. that's that's that class. Mm. You know something's up when Chrissy Teigen announces that she just 
got a baby and then you turn on Netflix and the first show is like surrogus the surrogate or something and you're like oh oh this is timely very in your face isn't it a little bit um terrifying and then um lastly too i think there was an information um session that you did with Kay yang on just gearing yourself up for i guess the debate on trans ideology which is um something that i would also like to listen to because i feel like that's um as we see this coming into schools more and more and we want to protect our children if we're not in the position of just pulling them all out and homeschooling. Um, yeah, I mean, these are the conversations we need to be having with our peers and with our teachers and principals and mm. boards. So, yeah, could you just give our listeners a little um, information on that one too? So I have like at least four I think we've recorded at least five. Um, I've recorded at least five podcast episodes with Kay Yang, and then I have two courses uh, with her. Um, one is called "Unpacking Common Myths and Misconceptions About Indigenous Two Spirit and Third Gender Roles." Uh, the other one is called "The Great Reset of Motherhood." Um, so both of those courses have tons of talking points and information, um, but the the course that I would recommend for parents of young children would be the one with Mary Lou Singleton, uh, which is inoculating our children against trans ideology. And that is the one that we do like role play scenario. Uh, We go through um, like the actual drugs, talking about the actual drugs that are being given to kids. Um, And some suggestions, of course, uh, you know, who are the people, who are the kids at most at risk and suggestions for, for, um, for moving forward. Amazing, Isabella. Thank you so much for both enlightening us and terrifying us. <laughs> but, you know, it's sometimes <laughs> the information you need to uh, to take action and to really, um, yeah, to wake up to some of the crap going on out there. <laughs> Definitely. And I don't know how bad your school is. I mean, it sounds pretty bad with the, with the acronym, the, the Celebration Day, but, like, I don't, you know... I, I, I don't, I don't know the specifics of your school, but I do know that there, you know, there has been a, a takeover and it's, it's hard to find schools and boards and curriculum and just the, it's saturated in the culture now, which is even worse than the school. Yeah. Well, I think, I think over in um, the States, you've probably got it a lot worse, but again, like Chloe said earlier, we're, we tend to follow in your shoes and it's quite mild here at the moment and I would say very benign um but you know doesn't stay that way and I I think that everyone kind of needs to be prepared and armed because it's not something that we've seen before and it's not something that we know how to address so if we can gear ourselves up with you know what we're seeing overseas and how to handle ourselves when the time comes so I mean, I, I still feel like an idiot, even though it's just a general unease about all all these things that are being, t- you know, mm. pushed in front of our kids. Um, I don't really have the words for it because it's not something we've been exposed to before. So hopefully this conversation... I think that's important what you mentioned just quickly is that parents who have the feeling of unease when they're presented with these types of concepts and ideologies shouldn't feel like they have to ignore that because a friend or a, a, a school, you know, um, spokesman or an influencer or anybody has told them that 
you're going to be like cancelled or you're a horrible person or you don't know what you're talking about or you're just some that sounds like right wing extremist um, propaganda that you've been brainwashed by and you don't know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. I think act on the feeling because you're never wrong. Yeah. Yes. All right. Yeah, and I don't mean to scare you more, but I'm pretty sure there are like a, a, <laughs> a lot of gen- there are gen- there are definitely pediatric gender clinics in Australia. <laughs> oh. For sure. For yep. sure. And it's not that far behind. And if I can remember correctly, there's an interview I did with um, Michelle Oriaro who is Maori, she's originally from New Zealand, but has been in, she's an activist now in Australia. I can't remember where in Australia. And from what she shared with me, it's, yeah, it's, it's, you've, it's got, present. you've got the pediatric gender clinics. Yeah, it's, yep. it's there. Mm. Um, Coming to a town near you. It's everywhere. Mm. All right. Well, thank you again, Isabella. We'll, um, we'll have to get you on for part two. <laughs> I know, we can talk for hours. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for tuning in to the Road to Wisdom podcast. To join the journey, you can follow us on Instagram at theroadtowisdom.podcast and at www.theroadtowisdompodcast.com. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. We look forward to seeing you next week with more juicy content.